working on the next Wombats album. See if you can drink 10 double rum and cokes in one night. Uh, Gorillas and Daft Punk doing a co-headline. Hello, welcome to the Man Overboard podcast. Today we're joined by Dan and Todd of the Wombats and most recently Sunship Balloon, who released their second album this week. Boys, what's the reception been like for the album so far? Our oh, friends and family all love it, at least. <laughs> <laughs> That's Bad. all that matters, really. Exactly. Right. I've listened to the album over a couple of times, and I'm getting this otherworldly feel. And, and a lot of the messaging, or at least how I'm interpreting the messaging, is... There's, there's a bit of a undertone of is the connection between people lost in the modern age, or at least that's kind of how I've read it. Is that message purposeful? And maybe I want to ask you guys, do you feel like in the digital age, that real human connection has been lost a little bit? Yeah, I think that's that's definitely there. Um, we started making some of the songs for, the, for this album during the pandemic. Um, and it was like lockdown where obviously human connection was kind of... Uh, you know, at a minimum. Um, and so it was, it was definitely the forefront of the mind. Um, and just sort of how much we actually need that and how, whether it's with, um, you know, technology, how addicted to phones we end up becoming. And, you know, in this, um, little world of just like ping, ping, da, 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 working at your laptop, whatever it is. And, sometimes and especially obviously during the pandemic um how that can lead you on a bit of a a race around your own head trying to figure out what's going on um like kind of what you need in life you know you reassess things a bit and like what's important and I think that was definitely a moment of realizing like how the obviously the most important thing for any of us is the people around you and those connections and that side of things and how much more you get done um with each other and how much more positive life feels like when you you know when you are with other people and stuff um so yeah there was definitely an element to that yeah 100 percent. i i got that message todd what do you think do you think in the digital age of instagram snapchat everything along those lines that real human connection has been lost a little bit between people yeah of course but uh, but, but at the same time it's such a blessing to have that medium in a way because like looking at the us like in sunship or even yeah with the wombats as well like living so far apart you know like i live in oslo uh dan's in liverpool murph's in, Lo- in los angeles and it's just like having that element of you know it's possible to have that sort of connection and interaction even though you're not in the same place but yeah and of course like nothing beats like being in the same room and actually being with people physically of course what was the production like for the new record was it most of it in person or was it a lot of it over zoom a lot of it mm-hmm. over calls and stuff no so that's the kind of like uh, irony with it it's like you know like we, we we didn't actually record much together at all you know the the most of it was done like it's uh, separately i i would start on something like a track or whatever and i will send that track to Dan, he will then, you know, start like writing on it, adding, adding bits, chopping around in the arrangement. Um, and, and the other way around as well, when Dan will send stuff over and I will add stuff to it, you know, like, and yeah, it, it was a lot of it was done that way. Um, or yeah, it was some songs that we managed to do. Was it even some before? The pandemic. Yeah. Um, no, there were a couple of windows uh, where, you know, all of a sudden it, it would open up and then I'd go over to Oslo yeah. um, and 
record a bunch of stuff but it was good because we ended up with like good blueprints um for most like for most of the songs and then we get together and be like right we need to do this 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 and then some of them I went into a studio in London or Liverpool wherever I was and like recorded bits sent it over to tour sometimes there'd be like a a little you know zoom to kind of say what do you think of this and it'd listen and then oh yeah da, 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 da. bit of virtual producing um yeah. and then we did the whole, the whole mixing was done remotely. I was just out in the garden in my little, in the little shed, um, listening to Todd mixing basically and being like, uh, can you turn that up a bit? Uh, maybe take that. <laughs> yeah. And we did that over and over. Um, but again, like with the Wombats, uh, last album we did all, again, it was a lot of it was done remotely and same with the mixing, um, with Mike Crossy, it was kind of just, you know, with headphones on the computer and listening to stuff because technology is so good now. And obviously the yeah. that you can actually hear back what's being done in real time um, makes it so much easier. So we had a good, we kind of had gone through the process yeah. once. So it felt a lot easier and natural for us to do that, um, which was, yeah, I mean, an absolute blessing because otherwise all those ideas would have just been stuck, um, you know, in our heads and, I mean, it took a while for us to finish it anyway, kind of because of all that and touring with the Wombats and stuff. But um, yeah, it would have been impossible without technology. So blessing, curse. <laughs> do you think Do you think that whole process itself affected the outcome of the songs that are on um, the most recent two albums that you're talking about there? Did did the the way that you had to put the songs together affect, you know, the end product at certain points where you're thinking, no, actually, I'd, I'd put this in there. Whereas if you were doing it within a studio, perhaps you wouldn't have had the time or like, you know, the foresight to put it in. 100%. Yeah, there's there's definitely positives. Um, Like with the Sunship stuff, Todd had sent something over and because we weren't together, I'd literally just like <clears throat> go for, a you know, a walk around the park with the headphones on and I could do that day after day. And, you know, whenever I felt like something was ready, send it back and I could just tinker and mess around for ages on it. Um, and without that, not, it's not like time pressure, but you know, when you are in a room together, you kind of do end up sometimes just going like, oh, that's cool. Oh, yeah. Which is, which is also a great part of the process, but yeah. It, it's also it, like a lot, it's a lot of waiting around when you're in the same studio and, and you're kind of like, you have to wait for each individual things to be finalized and, you know, like, yeah, as you say, like you can you can think about like um, changes or things you want to do like way more. There's no one waiting for you to come up with those ideas any you know quickly or whatever, which you sometimes have to do when you're in the same room. But at the same time, if you really want to like completely redo a track, and you know like not stick to the kind of demo template that you kind of have as a starting point, um, you know sometimes we do that. We've done that with Wombats where we like completely change. Uh, direction of a track like the production or like the dynamics or uh, like all of it you know like and you you wouldn't really be able to do that <laughs> when no. you're not in the same room so, so 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 you kind of have to stick to the plan which is the templates through the demo and then yeah roughly stick to that i guess hope that it's yeah. good enough to begin with yeah 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 <laughs> I imagine, yeah, as you said, it gives you a lot more freedom in terms of going for a little walk around the park, being able to just have a quick listen of it, think, hmm, is this where we want to take it? And then, as you said, you feel like there's not someone sat waiting for you. Mm -hmm. If there's someone sat waiting for you, there's always that pressure. But I wanted to ask a question that we ask every guest that comes on our podcast, right? And this is a tough one. This is one that should definitely get you thinking. We get all sorts of answers. It is for your dream festival. 
right? So we want a Friday, a Saturday, and a Sunday night headliner from both of you. The artist can be dead or alive. We get all sorts of answers to this. We've had super groups of people, you know, somebody's thrown like Willie Nelson in with some other people, and it's just any answer is great. Just headliner. Yeah, well, I mean, you can throw in some other acts yeah, as well. We're yeah. not limited to headliner. <laughs> oh, this is, this is a difficult one. I should have prepared this. <laughs> just at the top of my head, I feel like some one of my favorite kind of like bands to see live is Radiohead. So I feel like oh, they have to be featured. Um, maybe uh, doing uh, OK Computer from start to oh. finish. That, maybe that would be, that, 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 that be like a good uh, sort of and then they can do like a bit of a best off uh, yeah. on, uh, when they come back on and um, that would be a cool like Friday night maybe what I'd about be you, buying Dan? tickets for that one you buy tickets for that uh, yeah me too I'd probably go um, I still haven't seen Phoebe Bridges live so just mm. for that um, I'd like yeah I think that'd be I'd, I'd love to see her play um so yeah she's fantastic um gorillas oh saw them, that's a shame like, saw them a many shame. years ago and it was one of the best gigs i've ever seen so yeah they... what what about gorillas and daft punk doing a co-headline cool. that'd be, that, that, that'd be oh, a good yeah. one <laughs> or even yeah maybe maybe super group gorillas maybe and super oh. that could be a good one Daft Gorillas. There we go. Daft Gorillas. <laughs> I know they'll be listening to this. Get it done, Damon. Yeah. Get it sorted. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then we need one more night. Um, you see, Sunday, people either want to go out with a bang mm -hmm. or they want it to be like a calm, relaxing uh, road out of the, the festival. Weekend, yeah. Well, in for the like we need something class. Do we need something classic, though? Like, yeah, you know, well, like... I, was, I was actually just thinking when you said calm and that, I heard. Um, Fortet's new song on Six Music this morning, and and then listen to it in the car like twice in a row. Um, so I'll go for Fortet because again, I've never seen him live, and I feel like that'd be a really nice like, you know, you've got a bit of a hangover on the Sunday, you just want a bit of a dreamy like chill mm -hmm. to end it. So I absolutely yeah, love Fortet. I love Fortet as well. He's he's great. Um, I'm not sure if I would put him as a headliner on the final day. Maybe he can be like the you know, the second from top, maybe. So and then we'll have uh, headlining. Well, but then again, like you already put it in the electronic sort of world there. Um, so, oh, I don't know. But I feel like it should. we should have had like a vintage sort of like, you know, like a, you know, like someone like Beach Boys or something, you know, oh, like, there you, you know, go. Uh, Beach Boys. Well, quartet warming like <laughs> opening for Beach <laughs> yeah. Boys. Oh, what what about collab? Go on, Tim. I bet you can't think of a name for that collab. Beach quartet, set. Beach beach set. Set. That's all I've got. Beach I mean, four, I mean, four that, boys. I don't know. That is, that is going to be the maddest like collaboration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love to see it. I'd be that really interested. Really what kind well. of I can't. Ambient songs, but then with their like some of the harmonies and stuff over the top. Yeah, and, and the melodies, like that, Melody. that, yeah. But speaking of classics, you boys have got some undeniable indie classics. Like when I think of the Wombats, I think uh, Let's Dance, Dance to Joy Division. Uh, I think even Techno Fan for me is one of the like, top, top indie tunes. What's it like for you looking back at some of those songs and that era of music and knowing that they're now played in, in clubs, on TV, in, in everyone's front room around the UK? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, 
I think one of the moments where it hit home for me was I was actually in Leeds. Are you guys based in Leeds? Yeah, we're yeah. from Leeds. Yeah, yeah. we're yeah. in Leeds now. Um, and my cousin lives there. Um, and we, we went out. I can't remember if it was after a gig or something, but we ended up in this like indie club under the under the railway lines, maybe like under a bridge somewhere. Yes, was it Stone Roses? Probably, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Yeah, um, it could have been. The yeah. might be a little bit sticky when you walk, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah, that yeah, like Stone Roses. Like Stone Roses. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was awesome. And then all of a sudden, they put on like a live version of Moving to New York. And yeah. everyone in there was like singing the head off. And they might have even then later done Let's Dance to Eurovision, but from a live gig. And it felt, and like everyone was going for it. And it and it was like, this is a live version. Like, what is going on? And it, <laughs> that's that was mad. Where I was like, this is so cool. Um, and all these people that you've, you know, you've never met before are all there, like having this moment to this live version of the song that, um, yeah, it was really, it's it's pretty special and surreal. Was there a moment like that for you, Todd, where you realized, oh, everyone in practice, I'd say even in Europe probably knows at least one or two Wombat songs at this point. I don't know if there's a specific moment that I sort of like, because it was all kind of like, we, we're in this sort of bubble and on this sort of like mission, kind of like just doing gigs, doing gigs, doing gigs, traveling. Like, and, and it, it was kind of like, it felt like a gradual build, really. But I feel like the defining moment for me was playing the festival um, mm. in 2007, was it then? Mm. Or, yeah, I think it yeah. was that. And Killer Director has been mm. released as a, what um, was released as a single a few weeks before and, had, and I picked up some radio plays on Radio 1. And that's kind of like been, been going, uh, yeah, just be kind of like, so yeah, it was it had radio play basically, and and we didn't really know what that meant till we played Kill the Director in the festival uh, that year, and it was like you know it was small tent, but I think it was like it was over it rammed, you know, it was completely full, and people like singing along and 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 you know uh, losing their minds to Kill the Director, and it was like okay, they know this song, you know. This is this is crazy, yeah. and that, that 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 was kind of like a defining moment where where I, when I realized that okay something is happening here and people actually know this song at least. So yeah, it must be so nice. such a kind of, oh, no go on. Okay, so, no, I was just gonna say it's so nice that it's you know it happened it started back then, but like now when we play those songs, even though it's you know fifteen years later, it's still it's still got that like energy and that response in the in the room um that that we still feel and the crowd feel and it's like it's like a little time capsule that you know to whichever album we did it's like everyone's got different moments and different stories and um yeah it's it's mad it must be such a surreal feeling not only to hear lyrics that you guys have written being sung back to you but even to the point where people will be singing along with guitar riffs and you know doing <laughs> air drums and all like every part of the song people just they just vibe with everything it must be yeah a great feeling yeah no it is it's what every musician kind of dreams of i guess and um you know you're putting music out there just hoping that one person connects with it and when loads of people do and they're all like having a great time it's like oh yes <laughs> yeah, it's wild as well because i feel like the wombats there's been there's been a really gradual growth to the point of becoming like UK festival headliners. And I was at the Leeds Arena show. I saw your headline truck last year. And it's like, I feel like it it was it was a, a steady road 
And mm. some people don't even realize that songs like uh, Moving to New York, etc., came out like 15 years ago, which is <laughs> mental. And mm. I've noticed at the gigs, there's such a young crowd as well. Like everyone, everyone's practically under 25 at a Wombats gig. There's all the mosh pits are popping off. Like I've had, <laughs> I've taken friends to Wombats gigs who have never even been to a concert before and they've had the time of their life. And what's it like to see that those old songs still resonate with a, such a young audience and have such a standing in that audience as well? That's one of the things that, that kind of like it's it's surprising i suppose in in many ways but it's also like super awesome and it obviously proves that the songs don't necessarily like uh, and and the stories and the people can resonate with it even now like that they have some sort of longevity i suppose and it, it's not like something that just was just um something i was interested in mid mid notice or whatever but you know it it's um it it, it blows my mind it blows my mind and it's like yeah the fact that it's kind of been passed on to the next generation you know like you got we still got like the older people like but that's maybe stood a bit further at the back and, and not partaking in the mosh bits you know <laughs> so i feel like it's it's um yeah it's it's music that can maybe be suitable for for, for any any age really so um, we've there's been quite a few people that we've met where it's like um you know as you say they're let's say 20 or whatever and it turns out that when they were like five, six, seven, eight, their older brother or even their dad was like playing the songs in the house. And it just became, you know, it was something they grew up with almost that then it's like they've told their mates about or, you know, whatever. And it's this, as you say, it's this kind of, it's just being passed around and passed down. And um, and I and can't help but say also things like Spotify and TikTok and, you know, this whole world where like, time kind of doesn't really mean anything it's like you know you could be listening to something and then the algorithms will kick in and play you some music that they think you might like and you go oh I love this song and you don't you know no one's there thinking like oh this is from 15 years ago or whatever it's just they hear it and just go I love this uh who's that band oh cool great and and there starts you know another journey for them with the band but um yeah it's it's a mystery I 100% agree with the been passed down. So my brother's a huge Wombats fan. I, I'm 23 and my brother, well, I think he's like 31. I, it's bad that I don't know his exact age. He's going to hate me when he listens to this. But it was kind of a similar thing for me. I feel like it's been an institutional band in my life. The, the Wombats has always been played in my house and it's just been amazing. We came to the Millennium Square gig last year with my brother and it was exactly that wow. vibe. There was some 16-year-olds in front of us who were way too fucked up, which was funny. And then we were kind of probably the older heads who were a bit more chill. <laughs> Um, but no, it's always amazing. Is there any plans for some balloon live gigs this year? Possibly, um, but we're working on the next Wombats album. Uh, that's like, you know, if if a, a gigs or a tour came along that was like, you know, too good to pass up on, maybe. But um, the focus is definitely like next Wombats album and um, getting that one like written, recorded. Um, yeah, before next year. If possible, that's exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, whilst we're whilst we're on the the topic of uh, sunship, I just wanted to ask, what was the inspiration behind the name? As it's it's a very it's a very unique name. So I'm just curious if there was anything, whether it was just off the top of your head. I nearly said a... sunset then, and, I, <laughs> I, and that's why I stumbled. I nearly said <laughs> sunset, and I was like, oh. Sh it's a simple um, it's a simple story, really. It's a uh, it's a song from uh, Flaming Lips called Sunship Balloon. That it's we balloons, yeah. Yeah. balloons, yeah. 
Yeah, so we we just creatively we we were yeah we were really cheeky and creative there and kind of like remove the S. We don't need this S. Get rid of that. That's fine. There we go. So, yeah. we, we were sat in a cafe um on tour with the Wombats actually up in Glasgow and we were like, oh, what you know, what are we going to call ourselves? And like looking through various things online and then it was like oh what about some albums from bands that we like so we started looking through various ones and song titles and seeing if anything came up and then yeah we just got to that one it was like oh it just kind of and more and more it feels like it's a a great song as well you should listen to yeah check out the song it's awesome um it just felt like it really worked for the music and kind of yeah Almost and it means you can you can plug one of your favorite songs as well whenever you talk about it, which is always a win. We're yeah. in a very similar <laughs> scenario. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this yeah. up. I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> we're called Man Overboard because it was a similar thing. Like we wanted to create a podcast, we wanted to create a platform. We couldn't think of a name, so we were just kind of going through some of our favorite songs. And uh, Man Overboard by Blink One Eighty Two is one of those. Yeah. So we just thought, well, that's a good name. No one's called their podcast that before, so spot on. We'll go with that one. Oh, nice, great. That's really good. Uh, I- I started, I learned to play drums. Well, not not just to blink, obviously loads of stuff, but yeah, some early blink stuff. I used to sit there with my headphones on, just blasting away. Was, oh. To, to so, get learning drums by doing Travis's beats, that's impressive. That's a, that's a good yeah. route to take. <laughs> you know, when you're like 14, 15, like all those fast beats, you've got so much energy. It was just like, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love Blink, but I when I played drums for, I was never a drummer. I won't even try have a drum conversation because I did it for about two months. A Travis Barker song was way too advanced for me. But I did have a funny story. So I've actually been to a Sunship gig a little while back, right? And I kind of forgot that this happened. So you guys supported the Night Cafe a couple of years back, right? No, we were supposed to. but then. Or the did pan- it not happen? No, the pandemic came and then those gigs were cancelled and we'd like rehearsed oh. all and everything. But did you This has ruined my cafe? story, but if I carry on, it'll make sense as to why I thought I might have done. So I did go see the night cafe at, in Leeds, right? So on the night, my friend challenged me. Uh, this is when I was like 18, so it kind of makes it a little bit more acceptable. He was like, I challenge you to j- see if you can drink 10 double rum and cokes in one night. And I was like, I can do that easy. No problem at all. So I did it and I was going to say, I got to the gig and barely remembered any of it because I was at, because this, he, he set this challenge at like seven. Obviously we wanted to get to the gig at what, like half eight, nine. So I don't really remember being there. So I was going to say I was there in spirit, but not actually there. In spirit. But that's, yeah, so you've, been tell, you've, been telling pe- you've been telling people that you've seen us live and not realizing that we've never done a gig ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know, I, I feel like a bit of an idiot now, but it makes sense. Like, I thought surely I'd remember a little bit of it. Maybe, maybe it didn't happen and clearly it didn't. That's so, so has, there ever been, has there ever been live shows before? No, 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 we haven't done anything yet. We did, oh, uh, well, we did some really me. mean, did some really mean like uh, live rehearsals. <laughs> that nobody got to see. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was great, was, great, oh. great rehearsals. Yeah, we had a great time, drank lots of wine, and you know, did uh, we had really cool versions of the songs as well. And then, yeah, we, we were literally like spending like a week in London rehearsing for that tour with Night Cafe that we were supposed to do, and uh, we we were ready to go basically, and uh, and then the pandemic hit, and then everything got pulled, and yeah. I even have a I have a drum skin with, like that was ready to go and you know with Sunship Balloon on and the logo and stuff and it was gonna be like getting put on the drums and it's just sat in my studio now gathering dust. 
Don't worry, I was there in spirit anyway. You're so there. I listened and seen you Keep telling people that you saw it and it was awesome. Yeah. It, so if you if you've if you've never performed live, do you think the experience of um performing Sunship songs live would be different to performing your wombat songs live? With the experience with, with the different genre and the different, you know, instruments that you've included? I think it would be a pretty different experience and also it would be very much like back to the drawing board. Um, you know, I, I feel like that the early days of any band or whatever no one knows your stuff really and you know you're playing to whole new crowds and um so there's there's obviously not that familiarity that now with wombats gigs it's like we have a crew we know everyone like there's a real like family thing and it's all kind of like we know what's and it's going also on. it's also muscle memory with a lot of those songs it's kind of like you know it takes like you know we haven't done a show for a while it takes maybe two or three gigs before you kind of like get it back into your bones, but it's like, yeah, in 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 general, it's pretty much like we know what we're doing. But obviously for you, Dan, like with Sunship, when we were like rehearsing for the gigs, all of a sudden you like step into the front and like you know singing and playing guitar, and you're not like behind the drums anymore. And that's obviously yeah. would have been a, such a different experience. Yeah, completely. Like to yeah. to be be right up front and, and to be there's nowhere standing, to hide standing up for a whole gig as well i'd, I'd probably maybe i'd have to get a chair wouldn't be used finally to you can wear finally can wear proper shoes doing a gig as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's like been wearing the same sh shoes for the like his drum shoes it's just like completely like worn out uh as in the literal but, same pair the whole time yeah i like, think i've done over like over a thousand gigs yeah <laughs> and, and, put... and when they when they were broken, you put new souls in, right? Yeah, they are. <laughs> I think they might have done their last gig because the bottom of them now is just like there's holes in the whole the whole shoes, and they're barely holding it together. And it's like walking on ice. You know, there's just <laughs> they're like they're like bowling shoes now. I mean, for for a thousand gigs though, like if you've done that, like in, that's good wear. I mean, my shoes end up getting like that after maybe like three or four months of wear. So I mean, that's pretty I good mean, going. That was, that, that was that was a good purchase. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> you need to be getting a brand deal out of whatever brand those shoes are. You need to have like a little shoe cam on the drums. Gig one thousand and thirty four. But speaking <laughs> of so many gigs, has there been any stories whilst on the road? That you want to share we normally get pretty funny ones off people you know a, a, an amazing fan interaction something crazy that happened whilst on the road what's the best story you can tell us um i feel like the most memorable ones often are like the proposals so there's been a few people who've like reached out before a gig um asking if they could <clears throat> you know if we could announce from the stage that so and so has a question for so and so and and then the spotlight, you know, we've told the lighting guy before and then they, they find them and then the whole room turns around and it's this magical moment and everyone is, you know, it's a proper goosebump moment for everyone. And then the, you, you kick in with another song and like the fact that people, because a lot of those people, they met at Wombat's gigs or they bonded through our music. So it's become a very important part of their lives. Um, and then, you know, they have their first dances and stuff to some of the songs and um so I'd say that that for me is um I um yeah. I think the um one of my favorite moments on on tour was like we got our tour manager who dresses up as a wombat for some of our songs like he he, he at some point this was on the third album Glitterbug he was coming on to um the soul of a Greek tragedy he will come up and play like you know air guitar on you know like or whatever being like a silly sort of thing and he always tried to surprise us 
It was about like how we would enter the stage or whatever. And we were playing this old theater in um, Melbourne, was it? Yeah. Melbourne. And so he decided to start off like from the right of the back of the venue and then run down like the whole, <laughs> the whole like, you know, uh, what was it called? Like the, uh, the aisle. The aisle, yeah. Okay. Run to the front and then he was going to jump onto the stage and we see him like coming running. And then right in time for the saw, he's stepping up, not realizing it's a mu- music pit in between <laughs> where he was stepping up and the stage. And obviously he's got this like massive uh, costume on and with a head, he can't really see, you can't really see very well through it. So he just steps up to what he thinks is the stage and just falls. I think it's nearly, it was nearly two meters down into mu- the music pit. Oh, yeah. And everyone's just like, <laughs> you know, like you know, hoping that he's okay or whatever, and it's like it's this moment of like, and and we just continue to play, but kind of like kind of shocked, and everyone's like, <laughs> what happened? And then eventually, you see the head comes up, come up. Then he managed to come up, put the head back on, and then like as the song finished, he's finally up on stage, and he's just stood there like, you know, <laughs> and it, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, there is a video of this on our in our Instagram, I think. Yeah, and, and you hear so you someone, we saw someone showed us footage and afterwards and it was like you hear someone go, I hope that bear's all right. <laughs> <laughs> What's it like the shows in Australia in comparison to the UK? I know you've got a huge fan base over there and Aussies are known to be a little bit more mental. I know UK crowds like to claim to be the best and, and maybe don't diss them too much. That might not be the best idea. But do Aussie crowds live up to the hype as well? We're really spoiled over in, in Australia. Yeah, like the, the crowds are amazing. But I have to say, the UK, in terms of how wild things get, I don't think there's a another country in the world that is actually as wild as, like, UK crowds. For, like, mosh pits, crowd serving, you know, people in wheelie bins at festivals and flares going off and, like, you know, just the chaos you see in general. I feel like the UK does, um, does like, take the take the trophy. But, no, Australia is... It's, it's insane, yeah. Um, it's just, like... Same as in the UK, where it's just a big sing-along from start to finish. Um, it's quite a cultural thing in the UK to like absolutely lose your mind at a gig. And I've been to some of the most, uh, what I would consider tame gigs, and still seen people going absolutely insane for no apparent reason. And I think yeah. it's just there's just a certain energy whenever you enter a venue in the UK. It's kind of like a little bit electric, and you think something's yeah. going to go off here. Some, so something's going to go off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, no, it's no place like it in, in, in the world, I think, in terms of touring. You don't really get that anywhere else. No, it's a, uh, it's also, very unique. Yeah, the love for music, like, it is palpable in the UK, isn't it? You know, it's such a big part of so many people's lives and, like, um, how much it means. To, you know, like, when people are singing along, it's like every word is just, they're just going for it. And, I mean, we've had people moshing to Little Miss Pipe Dream, like, on our first <laughs> album. It's a really slow song. I'll never forget there's like a little mosh pit still going on and obviously the lads moshing were probably just so probably like you after 10 double rum and coke <laughs> yeah. even, didn't even know what the song was and they were just like what? Yeah. Just, just, but, uh, just there in spirit 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've proper played myself with that story. So do you know what the worst thing about it is? I was doing research earlier and I actually tried to find a video of you playing in Leeds. And I thought, oh, someone just mu like, no one must have put it on YouTube. I thought it definitely happened. The post is still on Instagram. <laughs> and then he was telling me before this there. podcast as well. Go, oh, no, don't worry. I'll I was like, yeah, that. I was like, yeah, I've got they're, a good story for they, this. They were great. They were great. Oh, good. Uh, they're they're great, great, great <laughs> I, did, I did see the night cafe in Leeds after 10 double rum and cokes. And from what I remember, they were great. So at least, at least yeah. it was kind of true and it, it linked up pretty well. But speaking uh, of wild times. I've had, I've had nights at Glastonbury, honestly, where I couldn't have told. I, I remember seeing like the start of the gig and then I don't know what I saw for the next four hours, but I know I was, I was out and about with people, but... <laughs> So, yeah, sometimes they're the best nights until you wake up the next day and you're worried about what you did instead it, of like, yeah. oh, I must have had fun. But speaking of wild times, I wanted to ask you about the formation of the band. Obviously, it was back in Liverpool at Liverpool Uni, wasn't it? I imagine that you were all going out a lot. It was a pretty mental time in life. How did you meet and when was the decision made to become a band? Because I, I imagine it wasn't a simple decision. Well, no, it, it was really because, you know, in we were in Lipper, actually. Um, although I, I was in... Liverpool Uni when uh, we actually ah. started, but um, me and Murph started doing some acoustic stuff together just randomly after a big night out and made a song about a goat and when we were like, let's go and play down in an open mic at the Cavern in Liverpool. So we did that, thought it was fun, uh, you know, just started making more and more songs or helping each other out on other recordings that we were doing in Lipper. So you had to make songs for things and it'd be like, oh, will you come and play guitar on this? Or will you play some drums on that? And little by little, we just got more and more um, like musical buddies. And then it was like, oh, we should start a band. And then Murph said, yeah, cool. Well, when I start in September, um, doing the full degree course, like try and find a bass player or something. And sure enough, he called me and went, oh, there's this Norwegian guy who's up for playing. Um, couldn't couldn't find any better. Just uh, had to like, <laughs> yeah, just picked me off the, uh, off, yeah. off the street. The first guy that's <laughs> outside heebie-jeebies. <laughs> was was like it outside heebie-jeebies? Yeah, it was heebie-jeebies. That we met. Yeah, that's when. I feel like I need a backstory as to what heebie-jeebies is. It's like it's like it? a proper. It, oh, it's, it's like a, a it's a nightclub. It's like uh, ah, full of yeah. like they got several dance floors so like over three floors kind of thing and like an yeah. indie club wasn't it basically yeah, yeah yeah was it was it anything like um what was that alternative madhouse was it called no, the crazy house crazy, crazy house crazy <laughs> house that's the one yeah Honestly, i was in there every weekend from 16 to 18 without fail I mean... <laughs> everyone in our school honestly oh yeah. i remember going there a couple of times and it was definitely something else it was experience again yeah, yeah i'd call it that. very sticky floors Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Unbelievably sticky. Yeah. When was the moment when you started out making music where you thought, oh, we're actually really good at this. We need to like knuckle down, get an album together and, and see where it goes. Or was there never really that moment? I mean, we, we were like, we were, just, we, we were in, uh, we were in uni, you know, like you're in uni, it's very carefree. You don't really like overthink these things, you know, mm -hmm. like certainly not in the beginning. It was just like, we, we, we were just, I remember though, like we were very productive and it was like four new songs every other month or every month, even like, you know, it was always like new and we recorded everything. And, and it's like, uh, it was a constant progression, I would say as well, like from like, from actually starting off, like sounding pretty bad. <laughs> 
to actually like quickly starting to sound much better and you know like um and then well, a bit the of a like satin sound you know you start going like you find your feet and you go okay no this is kind of who we are now um it takes time to like do that and i think like you know you can't really set off like with all these ideas and you know it's, it's better to make it sort of like happen organically i suppose which is what what it did with us and yeah obviously like we were doing all the music as well on the side you you you're in this kind of like i don't know carefree environment when you're in uni and you kind of like yeah you don't really think too much about it and then obviously like the moment the last year when it's kind of like always getting close to like finishing uni now like that's i guess when we started to really pick up the pace a little bit more and started to do gigs outside of liverpool and and that's when we had our first radio play as well radio one yeah that's when i dropped out of uni yeah and dan (laughs) decided to drop drop out of uni because uh, you had to go to france or something to do your last year or whatever yeah and then you know so so that was the only way to keep the sort of band going i suppose um I think so around you, that, around that time as well, you get your first radio play, um, and you start thinking like, "Oh, this, you know, this could actually like be something." And then you know, dropping out of uni was kind of like a right, I, you know, commitments. Really want to make this work. Let's do it. And as Todd said, then we started touring around the UK, loads playing to like five people in, you know, Newcastle or whatever on a Wednesday, and driving back yeah. home and. And just doing that more and more and more until it really started feeling like, right, come on, we're doing this. And we just all had this motivation and, you know, all the other projects we were working on kind of started just, we gave less and less time to them. And it was like, right, this is the project that's, you know, this is the band. And it just felt like um, we were unstoppable. I think I think the the evolution of your sound is interesting like you were saying there that it takes a while for you to find yourselves but then the difference between your the first Wombats album and the second one is I wouldn't say substantial but you definitely took a different shift while still maintaining the general feel of what the Wombats were um I was just curious as to like your process in doing that did you did you make a conscious effort to make the music feel similar or were you just vibing with it or no, we probably made a conscious decision to try and make it as different as possible but inevitably none, none of those songs made the album <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean like the, you know the yeah we introduced like synths and different keyboards and like trying to make the sound different um but probably again it's happened many times where i've you know, play the new song to a cousin or a friend or whatever. And like, oh, and in my head, I think this is like a total departure for us. And they go, oh, this really reminds me of your first album, you know? So we're, we're the worst judges of that. And I think you have three people in a room and somehow, yeah, there's an energy or, and you know, Merv's voice is so distinctive as well, I guess, that it's like people just hear it and go like, oh yeah. Um, and the lyrics as well. And the lyrics and stuff, but um yeah we every album we feel like we've taken a bit of a departure from the last one um that's the aim at least and how did it feel going into this sunship album then it's obviously a completely different venture more of a, a side project if you will but i suppose is there maybe a little bit less pressure there to please as many people or to try get as much radio play or to try do etc does it feel a little bit more free if that makes sense 100 percent. i think that's the reason these kind of uh, project or the reason Sunshine Balloon exists is that is for us to have an outlet where we can be 
uh, a lot a lot more free creatively and and you know like we can we can have an instrumental track you know we can do like different styles on the same album you know like it, it feels like there's less kind of like lim not necessarily limitations but there's more opportunities to kind of like go wild and be a little bit like self-indulging if, if we want to you know but you know there's still kind of like songs with you know with the pop structure and, and they're still like you know like songs that aren't that far removed from the wombats necessarily but then there's all this stuff very different so yeah it's just like yeah it's just like a an outlet where we can just do a lot more um you know yeah it is yeah more free basically the music videos had a very otherworldly feel as well where was the direction taken on them i had a look through them all earlier and it felt very dystopian so marta brodaka who did um like the first album and uh loads of stop motion kind of videos um which we loved and um she really like delved into the songs and like you know without getting necessarily too much background on it would come up with like what she felt um and then we'd talk things through and when it came to this album it was like oh yeah she's just you know we've got such a good working relationship and sent some of the songs that we were thinking about and she was the one that came back and said how inspired and um intrigued by lots of the ai programs there are out there um in terms like for creating videos and to be honest like myself and todd obviously not video directors and don't have a clue about what's actually out there and what's possible and get you know she was just so inspired by it it was kind of like listen if 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 you're will trust that you are going to make something that you're happy with and that's that's really interesting and cool um and she did like when when the videos came back it was like what the hell is this like it feels like something you haven't seen before and um and again all the like alienation and like loneliness and disconnect and stuff and um especially the song like real human kind of having that question like blade runner almost like are they replicants or you know are they human or ai or robot or whatever it is and she really wanted to like focus on that feeling and like try and create a bit of a thread through them all um and it's just really cool like i think the best music videos um same like greek tragedy is one of my favorite ones that we've done with the wombats and i feel like that just brought like a totally different edge to the song you know when you see the video it's kind of like oh you start questioning like what's the song actually about even though it's not about a stalker um it kind of just gives you a different narrative maybe and a different angle to look at the song and it's really like marta did such a great job with that and um yeah, but she wouldn't tell us exactly how she did it because she was like, I'm do I'm using a few different programs and processing things in different ways and blah blah blah. And it was like, Yeah, I'm glad you know what you're doing because <clears throat> I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's any need for her to keep it from the world though. Let more people create videos like that. Yeah, I think I think there's definitely there's definitely a, a you know a side to it in which the generation of what it's creating can be seen as art in its own regard. So it's interesting to mm. see, you know, an artist actually use that in a way to support another medium of art, because obviously your music is a separate one. So to yeah. see those two working in parallel so well is, you know, it's it's quite an experience. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think like the there's a lot of obviously conversation around AI um, in just in society as a whole and the future of humanity and stuff. And there's loads of um, positives and, you know, things to be a little watchful for maybe and make sure that humans shepherd things in the right way. And I feel like the 
this is on a very small scale. It's like a really good example of how Marta, with the budget she had, like working on her own, would never have been able to create those images that she kind of had in her mind or wanted to explore. She wouldn't, you know, you would have needed a team of people working on computers or artist boards or whatever that would just be impossible for people to achieve, you know, go back 10 years or whatever. Um, someone sat in their room would not have been able to create something like that. And it's kind of the same music has obviously already got there a bit with how technology's opened up um, the possibility to create and to record for people sat at home, you know, go back to the 90s and all right, <clears throat> you had four tracks and stuff, but um, you would, you know, you needed to pay like hundreds of pounds a day to go into a studio with engineers and um, all the rest of it to actually be able to record your song. Um, whereas now you can sit at home and like get a pretty good recording going in, you know, in no time on like not that expensive equipment and stuff. So it's kind of, it's a stepping stone in the in the visual medium for sure yeah definitely and i mean there's there's even crazier concepts that people have been using it for like i think the other day i saw somebody uh did ai to make homer simpson sing despacito which i thought was a pretty interesting use of it but it just goes to show you know the, the crazy like application that the technology has it's quite it's quite scary like when you when you see something and you question is this real or you know is it not, you know, like, I think that's, that's kind of the, the scary kind of part of it as well. You know, yeah, definitely. It's yeah. a weird one. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and nervous to see where I, where AI is in a few years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really want to see where it is, but we're, <laughs> we're definitely going to find out. But speaking of doing things out at home and how much that's progressed, the last Wombats album was produced with you guys in different countries across the world, pretty much, or at least some of the songs were, what was that experience like having been able to record all the other ones in person and then having to record some tunes for the newer one in different countries? It was a learning curve for all of us. Um, and, you know, as we sort of said before, there's like, there are positive aspects and negative, like the good side is that you can spend loads of time on your ideas without having to sit through someone else playing like 20 bass takes or 20 guitar takes, like tweaking, you know, the treble or, the, you know, like messing around with sounds like, the, you know, Murph can do that for ages and then send it back and you haven't had to sit through it. So you've got fresh ears. So your judgments like, oh, actually, yeah, that does work really well. And the fact that we were in different studios kind of gives each of the tracks that we recorded like a slightly different sound that then when they all came together, you know, actually worked really well. Um, so I think if we hadn't have had Mark Crow like being as organized as he was, um, I don't know if we would have kind of had the same experience, but um, he did such a good job at like keeping us all and keeping all the files more importantly like in the right folders and all together and kind of shepherding us through it um it actually worked out really well but um yeah I'm, to be honest like with hindsight just really happy with how it turned out and it feels like quite a proud moment in a way to have to have made the album and made it kind of as good as we wanted it to be even though we weren't in the same place like it was it was a yeah, good experience. I guess we wouldn't. I guess we wouldn't choose to do it that way again if we had the possibility to be in the same room, you know. But we know that if we kind of like needed to do something after we finish in the studio, it's like okay, we can do stuff at a later point, send it over, you know. Like it's kind of given us some tools and ways uh, of doing it, where it's uh, yeah, 
that can be helpful, I suppose. Mm. What was the moment like with that album? Obviously, it was your fourth album to get a UK top 10, but it was the first album to get number one. What was it like when you knew that you had that number one record for the first time after making so many? Pretty amazing moments. Um, we found that we were in Washington, D.C., about to start a U.S. tour. Um, and it was like the first tour we'd done in like two or three years after the pandemic. So we were all like buzzing to be on to be back on tour again and playing. Um, and to find that out was, yeah, um, we woke up, we went down to the lobby and they'd sent the like number one, you know, little trophy thing. Um, and it was just a, obviously it's just numbers and it's kind of arbitrary, but at the same time, it feels pretty mad. Like we were, you know, we were all just made up that um, finally we got there and we've still got a fan base who, you know, want to support us. And yeah, you yeah. can say that it doesn't matter, but like at the, at the same time when it, you know, like every musician and artist sort of like, you know, hope and dream of getting a number one. It's like, it's just one of those things. Although it's not like, you know, the the most important thing, you know, but it, it was definitely like, a, um, uh, you know, a special moment yeah. for us as a band. Just before we uh, round this off, I just wanted to know if you guys had anything in particular that you wanted to promote, any message that you wanted to put out there for fans to listen to? All I'd ever say is just thanks so much for listening to anything we've ever been involved in and thanks for your support. Um, listen to the listen yeah. to the new album. Well, that, yeah, <laughs> have, 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 yeah, have a yeah. listen to the new Sunship album, like for yeah. sure. It's uh, yeah, that that mean a lot if people took their time to do that. Yeah, yeah, go check it out. It's out everywhere you listen to your music right now. There's not a platform it's not on, so you've got no excuse not to listen to it. But thank you so much for your time, both of you. Uh, I hope to catch up again, hopefully in person, if there's any more live dates for, for either band coming up soon. But yeah, thanks for your time. See them live, finally. Maybe. Yeah, I might actually, <laughs> if you see me Here's in the crowd... <laughs> yeah. I might challenge myself and see if I can do 10 double rum and cokes this again. Is the point so. where I'll try and convince you yeah. this podcast didn't happen. No, don't do that. <laughs> I've had no rum and cokes today. That's impossible. But yeah, thank you so much, fellas. Hope to catch up again nice soon. Nice one. Mate, thanks for thanks having us. Very much. Thanks. Cheers, guys.